What's good, everyone? Welcome in to the Bucks Film Room Podcast. Super excited for you to join us for our third ever episode. A new podcast will be launched every single Monday on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, and now on YouTube for our second episode. My name is Brian Sampson. I'm the host. You can find me on Twitter at Bucks Film Room. And I write about the Bucks for Forbes Sports and for Dairyland Express. I'm going solo in this podcast. We'll have Justin Garcia of the Bucks Radio Network on with me next week. But really make sure that you tune in, subscribe. We'll have some great in-depth conversations about the Bucks here today, like we have the past couple of weeks and then moving forward. So it's been really exciting to see this podcast grow already in just a couple of episodes, and I'm excited to see what this journey looks like moving forward. As always, today we'll dive into what the Bucks did this past week, take a look at some of their defensive stuff that's really captured a lot of the attention. Adrian Griffin is already under the microscope and is already feeling that heat that Mike Budenholzer fell toward the end of his tenure. So that's really interesting. We'll dive into that and what and exactly what's going on with the Bucks defense talk about Giannis as an on-ball defender and as a star defender, see well, what that has looked like so far this year. And then we'll dive more into the in-season tournament with the NBA launching that and the Bucks playing their first in-season tournament game last Friday against the Knicks. So without further ado, let's just dive right in. So Milwaukee, their rim defense has really garnered a lot of attention. They, under Budenholzer, they were one of the best rim defenses um, in the NBA, both at preventing teams from getting shots around the hoop, but also at... Uh, at preventing teams from converting when they got those shots. It's been really, it's been a roller coaster of a ride for Milwaukee under Griffin, not just in this category, but, um, as a whole, as a team. So last week they started off the week winning, beating the Miami heat on Monday, lost to the Toronto Raptors in an embarrassing fashion on Wednesday. They really just got ran out of the gym. That was not a good look for them at all. And then they rebounded on Friday. Like they have this season and they, they beat the New York Knicks. So they're three and two heading into this year. All three of their wins have come against uh, playoff teams from last season and the 76ers, the Miami heat, and now the New York Knicks and their two losses uh, have come against the Hawks and the Raptors. So we've really seen, you know the best of of one world and the worst of the other so it's really been that that roller coaster and their defense is garnering a lot of attention Milwaukee has been really really good at keeping teams away from the rim but when teams have got there it's been dunk after dunk after dunk and maybe a layup sprinkled in here and there but it's really just been firing squad on that Milwaukee defense they've really tried to up their pressure and Griffin has asked their defensive players to to adjust to his scheme. And I think that's been a little bit where he's been at fault is he had this, he had this vision coming in that they employed in Toronto where it was just switch almost everything, high ball pressure, but he also had a lot better athletes on that Raptors team. And so they were able to do that a lot better in Milwaukee. They're older they're slower. It's, it's more difficult for them to pressure that ball. And we're seeing the results of that. So I'm just going to read through some of their defensive stats heading into this week. So we can all get a good understanding of exactly where they've been at. So all of these are according to cleaning the glass. So Milwaukee ranks 28th in defensive rating. 
They rank 27th in point differential. They rank 26th in opponent effective field goal percentage, 29th in opponent rim field goal percentage, 21st in opponent three-point field goal percentage, 28th in half-court defensive rating, and 28th in transition defensive rating. Are those red flags or are those just flukes? Only time will tell. We're only about, what, 8 7 8% into the season, 6 7% into the season after five games. And so it could just be small sample size theater, or it could be red flags of what's to come for the Bucks. That'll really be interesting to watch as they move forward is how will they adjust? We've already seen Griffin doing some of that adjusting, which we'll talk about in a second. But right now, I think the biggest issue is, so if you are thinking about their rim defense, you have to move your thought process out under the perimeter to get a good idea and understanding of what's going on with the defense, because it's been their point of attack defense that has been leaky. Last year, they had Drew Holiday out there. They had West Matthews a little bit, Javon Carter. Uh, they had some good defenders on the perimeter. That hasn't been the case so much this year. Uh, Damian Lillard, he's below average at defense. He gets caught watching a lot. I've been surprised at that. I was expecting his intensity to rise a little bit playing now on a championship contender for the first time in his career, but old habits die hard and he gets caught watching the ball a lot and losing his man on the perimeter. Even when he's guarding on ball, you can see he just doesn't have that elite lateral quickness to stay with some of the better defenders. He got shook in that first week um, by Tyrese Maxey for an open three pointer. And so he's been one issue. Obviously they're not relying on Lillard to be their primary defender. That role they've tasked with Malik Beasley, which I thought was always questionable. And we're seeing those questionable results. Um, uh, Jake Reitz was on the podcast last week. He said that he had thought Beasley played fairly well in, on defense. And this week, I think the story was a little bit different. Beasley, he he tries hard out there. He's just not built for it. Um, defense, you hear a lot about defense just being kind of like an on-off switch. If you want to want it, you want to, you got to play hard. You got to, it's an effort thing. And I think part of that is true. I also think that it's a skill thing. You can't just decide to be a good shooter. You can't just decide to be a good uh, rim finisher. Uh, part of that is will, but part of it is skill too. And, and Beasley, he has okay length. He just doesn't have that elite lateral quickness. He doesn't have the physicality or the strength to be able to body with some of these bigger wings. So I really think that's where the issue is uh, with those two. And Milwaukee just doesn't have that elite perimeter defender campaign coming off the bench, playing a limited role. He's okay. Okay. As a backup point guard. I, I like that fit. Um, he's not an elite defender. He more can space the floor, run your offense. And then Pat Connaughton coming off the bench. He's, he's okay. Again, can guard several different positions that flexibility uh, and versatility is probably his best asset, but he's not a lockdown defender. Uh, Marjan Bochamp. He's been intriguing. I thought he had a very, very nice first game against the 76ers where he really turned the tide. It actually um, broke down how as Lillard was taking over on offense and getting all the attention for the points he was scoring and rightfully so that Bochamp actually 
turn the tide because he came in and shut down Maxi. He um, he has very good length, Bochamp does, and I think he uses that to his advantage. He's not the quickest of guards, and so when you're asking him to play all the way up to half court, guarding some of these really quick point guards or smaller shooting guards, I think that's where he struggles a little bit. But that length, he's, he's probably right now, I would say, the best on-ball defender that they have, which is more of, I think it says more about the, their lack of options than anything else. But he could develop into a guy who could more guard um, bigger bigger combo guards, bigger or smaller wings, that kind of thing. Um, but they just, the Bucks lack those options. And so I think that's really been, been the issue with Milwaukee is it's been really easy for opposing teams to get get past their man on the perimeter and get into the paint. And you see Brooke Lopez being in a lot of two-on-one situations where he's a step slow. He's not, he's not in that drop coverage like he has been. And he doesn't, he hasn't been able to figure out how to defend that. So it's been, it's left, it's left the Bucks uh, perimeter defenders behind the action. Brooke Lopez are their bigs in a lot of two-on-ones. And then you see a lot of dunks and layups by the opposing team. So that's really been an issue for the Bucks here. Lopez was in more of that drop coverage against the Knicks. And Adrian Griffin actually came out and say, said on the broadcast and then post-game that a couple of the Bucks veterans came and talked to him before or in between the Wednesday game and the Friday game and said, hey, coach, we know we have things that work. Let's rely on that a little bit more. And I, and I really like that. It doesn't mean that Milwaukee has to exclusively run the drop coverage. That's I think Budenholzer found a base defense that worked, and Griffin would be ignorant to ignore some of that. You know, he knows what that's that that baseline can be for the Bucks, and it, it's been proven to work for the last half a decade. So why not rely on that? Where Griffin can put his own spin on it is by mixing up coverages on the perimeter. If he wants to do more switching one through four or one and two and three and four or whatever the case may be, if he wants to increase some of that ball pressure, he can do that either when Brooks not on the floor or by asking Brook to play drop coverage. So I really like that about Griffin. We're really past the times where coaches are in an authoritarian, authoritarian in a in an authoritarian spot. That was easy for me to say. And what I mean by that is maybe maybe dictatorship is more of the word I'm looking for. We we're past the points where coaches just say, "Here's how it's going to be," and then players follow follow in line. And so I really think that is great to see from Griffin that he was able to work with his players, and, and he even admitted admitted in the post game comments that sometimes players are going to be wrong, but he'd be unwise to not listen to them in this situation. So I really like that. They had their best defensive game by far against the uh, Knicks on Friday, even though Jalen Brunson went off. Brunson's really the type of player that can hurt Milwaukee with that drop coverage because he can hit those floaters. He can use his body. He's he's a smaller point guard by height-wise, but he uh, what he lacks in height he makes up for in muscle and physicality, and you saw a lot of that. And the Bucks just don't have that type of guard who can stick with him. Drew Holiday was a great matchup for him. He could match that physicality and he, and even exceed it as well, uh, where the Bucks didn't have that. But still, even though Brunson went off for 40-some points, Milwaukee's defense held their own had their best defensive rating by far on the season, kept the Knicks away from the rim, prevented 
easy buckets for the most part. So that was really encouraging to see that partnership. I think it's going to take more of that moving forward of how can Griffin implement his vision with some of that aggressiveness, with some of that ball pressure, with some of that switching and rely on what has worked for the Bucks because Brooke Lopez just is not a guy that you're going to want to put up near the point of attack. The 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 closer to the three-point line he is, the better it is for the defense and the worse it is for the Bucks. Uh, I should say the better it is for their opponents and the worse it is for their Bucks. So that's really going to be something to watch here moving forward. Milwaukee has a, has four games next week's next week which we'll touch on. Um, so we'll see how that really plays out and how Brooke Lopez is able to if he's able to stay in that drop or if they try to mix up some coverages here and there. That'll be really worthy to watch. One thing that I had thrown out on Twitter was uh, a potential trade. And I don't know, and I'm not this type of guy who says the Bucks should go out and get this. I was just scrolling through Twitter and an Alex Caruso highlight popped up where he's playing some really elite on-ball defense. And I had just shared my thoughts that he would be a great candidate for the Bucks to get. I think he could start alongside Lillard. He would be, you know, he can guard those quicker point guards. He can guard most of the wings. Where he would struggle would be those bigger wings like Jason Tatum. That would not be the matchup for him. But Caruso would be a nice find if he's ever available. The Buck or the Bulls are trending downward. Um, they've been very stubborn and not wanting to get rid of this core. But that could be something that they look at by the trade deadline if they're still trending downward. And Milwaukee should try to swoop in. Looking at salaries, I'm just going to throw out ideas, not say that this that the Bucks should do this, not saying that the Bulls would or should do this, just throwing out ideas. So Caruso would be a great great backcourt fit with with Lillard, can guard the Tyrese Maxis, can guard the Jalen Brunsons, can really guard, um, I would even say Drew Holiday, Jalen Brown, uh, some of those types of players. And the only salaries that would fit in a potential trade would be Bobby Portis or Pat Connaughton. Those would really be the only two salaries where if you're looking at a one-for-one swap, obviously Milwaukee would have to sweeten the pot there and if they were going to do something like that. And they do hold the Portland Trailblazers 2024 second round pick. That's really their only valuable trade chip that they could look at doing. Um, Portland started the season three and three, but that pick is supposed to be really bottom of the barrel. So low thirties, hopefully as close to 31 as possible, but that would be the most valuable trade chip that the Bucks have in looking at a deal. And obviously that would shake up their roster, especially if they're going to ship off uh, either Connaughton or, uh, Portis. If, if they move somebody like Connaughton, that would really signal that they're ready to move Bochamp or Andre Jackson Jr. into a more prominent role. So that would be interesting. Connaughton never would have been on the trade block uh, under Boonholzer. He was a Boonholzer guy through and through, but a new coach, new expectations, you never know. So again, I'm not... Um, advocating for trade either way just thought that was a very interesting piece that just happened to fall into my timeline that I wanted to throw out there sticking with defense a little bit longer I think we talked a good amount about offense last week so I want to continue to talk about the defense this week so Giannis is really caught my eye and I'm excited to see what Griffin and the Bucks do with him moving forward this is really going to be something worth watching again under Budenholzer I hate to I hate to continue to bring this comparison, but I think it's just important historical context. Everyone's aware of it, but just so that way we're all on the same playing field here moving forward. Under Budenholzer, Griff, uh, Giannis played a lot off ball, really as a roamer, as an extra rim deterrent uh, behind Brooke Lopez. So that was really a role that he played 
the past five years, sometimes he would take on the toughest matchups. Most of the times he was on like the PJ Tuckers of the world where he could roam, not, not too worried about if they shot a three. Sometimes he'd get brought into on-ball situations. But this year he's being asked to play more on-ball, and we've already seen it through the first two weeks of this season. It's been really exciting to see. He has a lot of potential. He has some things to tone down there as well, which we'll get into. He's still guarding the P.J. Tuckers in that first game against 76ers. He spent most of his time on P.J. Tucker helping off him in the corner or the dunker spot, different things like that. But he also took a short turn on Embiid as well, which he never would have done in years past. Embiid got hot there in the third quarter with Brook Lopez guarding him. So Giannis took a turn on him. I think one of the first possessions that Giannis was on him, he stole the ball, took it the other way for a dunk. A couple possessions later, though, Embiid drew a foul. And and that's really, I think, where the issue is going to be is Giannis got too overzealous. He got too active. He really went full thanasis on Embiid where he was way too aggressive trying to get the ball, trying to fight for a position, and it really got out of control in that way. And I think that's going to be the biggest thing that I'll, I'll watch with Giannis is he tends to get really engaged in some of these defensive possessions, and it's to a fault or to a detriment where he uses up too much energy, is too tired, then to continue that defensive effort possession after possession or help out with offense. So that'll really be worth watching. And then of course the fouls is with that effort, you know, he's really getting handsy with guys. He's reaching for the ball. He's getting too physical and it's too easy for the rest to call a foul. So that will really be worth watching is how will he handle that moving forward? He did a really nice job this week. On Monday, he defended Jimmy Butler for 22 possessions, according to NBA.com. So those that shouldn't be taken for gospel, those NBA matchup stats can be inaccurate, but it just gives us an idea. So on 22 uh, partial possessions, and Jimmy Butler didn't take a shot, wasn't even looking at the rim wasn't even interested in attacking Giannis. We saw Giannis shut him down in the playoffs a couple of years ago when Butler was dominating last year. It was with Drew Holiday. Milwaukee didn't didn't make that switch. Of course, Giannis was struggling with injuries, missed a couple of games, but that's really will be worth watching. I, I can remember one possession against the Heat where Butler had a fast break and Giannis was was running with him and Butler didn't even look at the hoop. He just dribbled down the right side of the line, uh, right right baseline, went under the hoop, came back out. He did find a teammate for an open three, but he never even glanced at the hoop with Giannis on him. Giannis did a good job being physical with Butler to start that game, and that's something you could tell that he just wanted to set the tone right away of, hey, you're not going to do to us what you did last year, and and the strategy worked. They, they really shut down Butler using that physicality. Even when Giannis wasn't on him, Butler couldn't get it going. He had a couple of shots. I mean, he's a great player, created some plays for his team, but really they did a great job of limiting his effectiveness. We saw it again then on Friday night, uh, Giannis guarded Julius Randle, held him to two for 11 shooting on 47 possessions. Again, take that with a grain of salt, according to NBA's uh, matchup stats, but that was really worth worth watching. That's a good matchup for Giannis, a tough one for Randle. Everything that Randle does well, Giannis does better. Um, Giannis did a great job of really baiting Julius Randle into taking some of those threes. So when Randle caught the ball on the three-point line, Giannis wasn't right there in his face. He was he, he stayed back a little bit about an arm's length. And when Randall tried to rise up for those threes, Giannis was right there to contest with his length. So that was really 
interesting to see how that played out. Randall, when he tried to drive, Giannis was trying to funnel him to his right side. Of course, one thing that was huge in that game, I can't give Giannis all the props because Brook Lopez had at least two, maybe three blocks on Randall. So Giannis funneled him into the paint or into the right spot on the court. Brook Lopez came out of seemingly nowhere and made that block. So that was really huge and cool to see that partnership again, going down to that uh, drop defense because Brook Lopez was by the rim. So he was able to really be there and be in the right spot at the right time. So that was really fun to see. We'll see how the Bucks continue to use Giannis moving forward. Um, it's going to be a tough balance. And a lot of it will depend, I think, on Chris Middleton. If Chris Middleton can get back to full strength and then then they can use Giannis more in those defensive situations where if Middleton can run the offense and he's looked good. He's had limited minutes to begin the season, but he's looked good out there. He's looked spry. He's been able to create offense for himself and more importantly for his teammates. So if Middleton and Lillard can take more of that, then they can use Giannis in those specific matchups. Conditioning will be worth watching. And I think that's where it comes back to again. You need to know how to play hard at defense and conserve energy at the same time. It's a delicate balance of you can't go all out. And a lot of times you see guys who are new to the NBA or new to high leverage situations really go too hard and then they use up all their energy on one or two possessions. Obviously, Giannis isn't new to this situation, but he needs to find that balance. That'll be interesting to see. I'm just thinking about potential playoff matchups. Obviously, Philadelphia, we know how that would go. 76 or the Celtics would be an interesting one to watch of just because of their size and length, would the Bucks use Giannis on Jason Tatum? Would they would they put him in that matchup to see if they can limit Tatum's effectiveness? Tatum has he added a lot of good weight, good muscle this season, so that'll be interesting. But Tatum's quicker than Giannis can take advantage of that. So that, that'll be a matchup whenever they play. I don't know when they play next, if they already use Giannis on Tatum in the regular season or how that works moving forward. So definitely just something that's worth watching. I think one of the issues with um, – Giannis is his screen navigation. Sometimes he dies on screens. It's hard for, and he's talked about this, I think to Eric name of the athletic and in the media before of it's hard for a big guy like him to get skinny and to slide over those screens and to stay with his man. We saw him die on a couple of screens this week already. So that'll be something worth monitoring is if he's guarding Tatum or Butler in the future or whoever, will they try to involve more screening action to get Giannis to either switch or to make, make it tougher for Giannis to, fight through those and hope that he dies on some of those screens. The Bucks played their first in-season tournament game on Friday when they beat the Knicks in that nail-biter, and it'll be interesting to see how teams continue to show up for these games moving forward. The NBA, so the in-season tournament, we'll talk about that in a second, but the NBA has done everything in their power to incentivize teams to play hard in these in-season tournament games and to make this new NBA Cup actually matter. And they've, they've put in a lot of different policies, like the resting policy, national TV games, all this stuff. They drummed up new courts for every team. They're trying to drum up the excitement with the fans. And we'll see if it works. It seems to be working for the players. Damian Lillard spoke post-game and said something's happening. Something's brewing with this NBA tournament. They don't know what. They don't, they can't, they can't put their finger on it. They can't label it, but something's happening. And he and he stated their goal is just to get to Vegas. So Vegas would be 
the semifinals and the finals of the in-season tournament will be played at a neutral site in Vegas this year. So how the NBA season, how the NBA in-season tournament works for those who aren't familiar are each conference is split up into three groups. The Bucks are in the East group B along with the Knicks, the Miami Heat, the Washington Wizards, and the Charlotte Hornets. So they'll play each of those teams one time in the regular season. That counts both for the regular season standings and the in-season tournament standings. And after that group play, whoever has the best record from the group will then advance to the knockout round. So that'll be six teams plus two additional teams. One will be a wild card from each conference. So that would be um, the team from each conference with the best record in group play and the best overall record. So that's how those eight teams will then advance to the knockout round. So these in-season tournament games will be played every Tuesday and Friday throughout the month of November. And then the knockout round will be December 4th and 5th. And whoever is the higher seed in the knockout round will host a game that will count toward regular season standings and one of their home games. So then the winner of each of those knockout rounds will then go to the semifinal game on December 7th, and that will be in Las Vegas. Again, that game will count toward regular season standings. Winner of each of those semifinal games will move on to the finals uh, or championship on December 9th. Again, in Las Vegas, that game will not count for the regular season standing. So for those two teams that make it to the championship round, that they'll actually end up playing 83 games in the regular season this year. Again, that championship game though will not count toward regular season standings. So that's how the in-season tournament will play out. My or the Bucks, it'll come down to, I said Miami, I think it'll come down to the Bucks and Miami. So after this first round, Miami and Milwaukee are 1-0. The Knicks and the Wizards are 0-1 and Charlotte Hornet the Charlotte Hornets have yet to play a game, so they're zero and zero. So Milwaukee's next game will come on next in-season game will come uh, November 17th at Charlotte. And then a week later, they'll play on November 24th at home against the Wizards. And then they'll wrap up on November 28th at the Miami Heat. So Charlotte and Washington, those should be two victories for the Bucs. And I would anticipate Milwaukee heading into that final matchup against the Heat with both teams 3-0. and We'll see because Miami will still have the Knicks mixed in there. That could be a potential roadblock. But that final game, that final in-season tournament game between the Bucs and the Heat, could have a little extra juice. These teams have a growing history, of course, of the playoffs. Um, what will happen if if a, an appearance in the knockout round is on the line? Will that take this to the next level? I'm really curious to see how that will play out. Will Griffin treat that as just another regular season game? Will he increase the minutes for some of his star players in those games? That'll be really interesting to see. That'll be their second matchup of the year, obviously with Milwaukee just taking this victory last week. So we'll see how this is going to play out. It's really going to be interesting to see how players and teams buy into this NBA Cup and, and what will it mean? How will they celebrate it? Right now, I would say the NBA is off to a good start. They have they've done a great job of drumming up some interest and excitement, maybe not in fans yet, uh, but at least in the players. And, and they're putting, they're trying to get more accountability on the line by offering bonuses to players for winning. And now they offer, they're offering bonuses to coaching staff, to the coaching staff as well. So they're doing everything that they can. I think it'll take time to drum up interest for fans. I mean, right now, if you ask me, it's yeah, sure. I want the, 
I want the Bucks to win the in-season tournament, but I would much rather have them win the NBA Finals than the in, than, than the NBA Cup. You know, if their NBA Cup victory is going to come at the expense of their NBA Finals victory, then no, I want absolutely nothing to do with it. So that'll be interesting to see. I, I think that's I, – I don't want to speak for you. Maybe let me know in the comments what you think about that of which would you rather have or rate it on a scale of 0 to 10. So – Zero meaning NBA Cup is absolutely worthless. Ten being it's the best thing in the world. You'd want that over any other championship for the Bucks. Rate that each of the in-season tournament and the uh, NBA playoffs as well. I, I mean, I would put just for me, I would put ten for NBA Finals, five, four for NBA Cup, something like that. So they really have to have work to do to get my interest and my and pique my interest in that. But we'll see. They're off to a good start. Moving forward, just wanted to touch on their games next week and what that will look like. They have four games next week. They play Monday, November 6th at the Brooklyn Nets, Wednesday versus the Detroit Pistons. Then they have a back-to-back there with their next game coming Thursday at Indiana Pacers, so home away back-to-back, and then Saturday at the Orlando Magic. Against the Nets, Mikal Bridges, he's been playing well, continues to play well. It'll be interesting to see how Milwaukee guards him. He might be a little bit too long from Leak Beasley, a little bit too quick for Chris Middleton. Giannis, I wouldn't go there for Giannis. They have um, Dorian Finney-Smith. They have some other players <clears throat> that Milwaukee will be able to match Giannis up with. Ben Simmons, he's... Not, I wouldn't say back to his peak self, but he's playing better. He's at least playing basketball, which is a good start. It's good to see him out there. He's He'll be a very int- interesting player to see how Milwaukee defends him. And, and he's he has liked to take on that challenge of Giannis in the past. They've had some moments. It's been a few years now, of course, but they've had some moments where they've really gone back, back and forth with one another. Of course, Giannis dunking on him, calling him an explicative, explicative um, baby, uh, having some choice words for him there. So we'll see how that goes. Cam Thomas for the Nets, he's just a shooter. He just he chucks out there, shooter, shoot, shoot to get hot, shoot to stay hot. He loves to just shoot that rock. Against the Pistons, who will guard Cade Cunningham? Cunningham, after suffering an injury last year, has bounced back. He's he's a force to be reckoned with. Not many players understand just how, or not many fans understand just how good he is quite yet, but he's going to be capturing the attention real quick. So that's a name to watch. He presents some challenges with his size and his skills. Uh, we'll see how that goes. I think that Beasley will get the first chance on him, but I wouldn't be surprised to see Bochamp get a, a good hard run at him. We'll see how that goes with Cunningham. Against Pacers, it all comes down to Tyrese Halliburton. How will that work out, uh, making his return to Wisconsin? Last year, I'm trying to think if he even played in a game in Wisconsin last year. I know he was injured for at least one of those games in Milwaukee, maybe both of them. Somebody will have to fact check me on that. But he's another rising star, just got paid this offseason. He's somebody that can carry the offense and and can really take down the Bucks. So those two, that'll be interesting. Back-to-back nights against Cade Cunningham and Tyrese Halliburton. How will that play out? And then Saturday at Orlando Magic. Magic are a fun young team. They're really putting things together this year. They really have, I think, started to figure out. They have a number of ways that they can hurt you. With Franz Wagner, he's – we'll talk about his on-game court. Really good player. He's a really tough matchup, I think, for the Bucs. Of course, him and his brother have had some issues with Giannis um, in the past. We'll see. They like to get under your skin. Of course, they're coming in with this underdog mentality. They want they want to be the hunter, and they're going to try to do what they, what they can to irritate the Bucs. Will Giannis fall for that again? 
we'll, we'll find out. And then uh, Bancaro, he's another, he had a slow start to the year, but he's really a really good player to watch. That right there is a for sure Giannis matchup. And that'll be a great test for both players. Is uh, Bancaro can score from all three levels. He's a great, great player. It'll be a great test for Giannis. And how will he respond? I, you know, he gets up for these games. Will he see Bancaro as that true test? And will he increase his intensity and energy level as well? So some really good games against maybe teams that aren't in the upper echelon of the Eastern Conference, but these are the teams that the Bucks have lost to this year. You know, Hawks and Raptors, both right there, probably middle tier. That's where that's where a lot of these teams are. How will Milwaukee respond? Because we've seen them get blown out twice now against this middle tier of the East, and will they be ready to turn it around and finally change that tide? At, at some point, they can't only count on beating previous playoff teams and only being the good teams. They need to rack up some more of these easy victories to stay stay float. The Celtics are off to a great start. I think that they, even after two weeks, I'd say that uh, they're in danger of running away with the East. They've just looked extremely good. So Milwaukee needs to start racking up some of these wins to start really. And it's about the standing. Sure. That's great. But also then about building that chemistry and momentum in their own team. They've made a lot of changes this off season. At, at some point they need some of these wins to get, get more of that buy-in and get things going. That's all that I have. I really appreciate you all tuning in. You can find the Bucks Film Room podcast on Spotify, on Apple Podcasts, on YouTube. Again, every Monday it drops. I would love it. Really appreciate it if you would rate, subscribe, and do all of that. It really helps with the show. Uh, thanks for tuning in. I'll catch you next time.